Hello and welcome to the uh, uh, to episode 17 of the ME7 podcast. The Jewels kick-started their 2022-23 campaign with a much-needed three points in ME7 on Saturday afternoon after a rocket header from Scott Cashkett gave Neil, Neil Harris's men the confidence boost they, they needed after last week. Tonight, I'm joined by Lewis Browning, Owen Stanley and Carl Pont as we review Saturday's game at a sun-kissed Priestfield Stadium. We look at some individual performances of the Jewels side we will also talk about that surprising statement that came out late last night as the chairman takes an extended break from the football club, seeing Paul Fisher taking the reins as co-chairman of the Jills. Finally, we will preview tomorrow's cup game against Wimbledon. Yeah, probably we've all forgot about that, I know. Right, OK. Um, yeah, Kyle, uh, we'll because uh, you're on my screen and you're to my right, um, we'll, come to you, we'll come to you first. Um, yeah, we'll go straight on to Saturday's game then against Rochdale. 1-0 win. Give us your assessment of it, of it. It's definitely an improvement over what we saw the week before against Wimbledon. There definitely seemed to be a bit more bit more intent, a bit more of a, of a game plan, really, other than, than hoofing it up the pitch and kind of hoping that Mandron could head it down. We, we gave playing it on the floor a bit of a go, a bit of a, a clever set-piece routine to get us the goal, um, whether he was potentially less than onside or not is to be debated but um, it was naive of Rochdale not to pick him up and it was a very smart header well finished by him uh, looked bright Jordan Green looked incredibly good looked like he's going to cause a lot of issues for opposition teams at least until they figure him out and start snapping his legs um, and yeah I thought uh, Mandron you know did his job I'm not too sure that we're seeing a different player to, than his previous time at the club um, we defended fairly well um, against a, a Rochdale side that looked like they're fairly toothless up front, to be to be quite frank. Uh, Morris put in a couple of decent stops, and um, the play from the from the fullbacks was fairly good as well. Um, I still think it's pretty clear that Will Wright isn't as comfortable playing as a fullback than he would be in the centre. But until we sign another fullback, allowing for a potential shift into the middle for him then that's going to be where he's going to be playing, it looks like, pretty much. Yeah, true. I mean, um, yeah, give us, your, give us your assessment on it. Obviously, um, I, w- I wasn't there, unfortunately, Saturday, but um, a, a lot of the a lot of the, the feedback that had come out from it was that it was it was streets ahead of the performance that we'd seen at Plough Lane the week before. Yeah, it was a lot better. I think it was a very routine victory, which I know is a bit silly to say after the score's only 1-0, but I think, really, we wouldn't have been, you know, would have not been really debatable if we deserved it. If it had been 2 or 3-0, I think we basically dominated from start to finish. Not, um, Northampton, Rochdale didn't really have a spell in the game. There was obviously going to be a time in the last five minutes plus injury time where they try and put bodies forward. But even then, there was nothing really that you know suggested that they were going to get anything out of it. The only way they would have got a point is if we had made a glaring mistake. But yeah, I thought we were we were really comfortable. We got the ball down well, as Carl said. We created opportunities. We put them on the back foot. There was a spell after the first goal where it looked like it could have been two or three before half time. We were getting in really good positions. Had a good good couple of uh, efforts from distance as well from Williams and Lee. And uh, yeah, I think defensively they didn't really lay a glove on us. Really, it's a bit like um, what we were at Wimbledon the week before, where you know they were trying to get forward, but really nothing was coming off from, them and they weren't really getting any any change out of us. I think we. Yeah, as I say, we, we, we just dominated the game and we were worthy winners. I think the only, um, not negative I can take out of it, but the only concern would be that, uh, you know, if we play that well against a better side, maybe our lack of depth going forward and the fact that we seemingly don't have two goals in us at the minute would be an issue against a better side who, you know, if they were to get a chance to score it, would we be able to go and get another one with the options we have? I'm not too sure at this moment in time, but... Just in December Saturday, yeah, it's a very, very routine, routine win. But I'd like to, to have been a bit more comfortable on the scoreline, but we very much deserve to to get the three points. Lewis, um, obviously the uh, the manager Neil Harris come out after Saturday and 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 had said that it was the best forty five minutes he'd seen from his dual side since he'd been at the football club. Um, would you agree with those comments? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone knows our situation last year and how we were up against it and. 
Harris has pretty much said he had to go to the back five because, you know, we couldn't keep the ball out and how poor we were in terms of going forward after he came in because we had sort of had to sacrifice that to be a bit sturdier at the back. So last year it was pretty much about results rather than performances and the Wimbledon performance wasn't great this year. So I think it's up there, but I think it's important to remember how bad Rochdale are with all due respect. You know, I think they're probably going to be struggling down there this season and their teams, you know, before the game, everyone was saying we need to beat Rochdale if we're serious about anything this season. And, and that we did. Um, as Owen said, we don't look like we're going to score enough goals at the minute. Um, I'm not sure how many Mandarin has in him. I'm not sure how many Lewis Walker has in him. Um, I thought Oli Lee was probably going to be our top goal scorer in that number 10 role, but it looks like he's going to play deep a little bit more than expected, perhaps. Um, with Ben Reeves playing a bit further forward at the weekend. But yeah, in terms of performance, you know, it's all you can ask for. Um, you probably would want a couple more goals, but we weren't really tested defensively. And um, we we were very good going forward. Kyle said how good Jordan Green was. Um, I think Ollie Lee and Ben Reeves will have a lot of fun at this level against teams like Rochdale. You know, they kept the ball for fun. They were in a lot of space. It is just ultimately about putting the ball in the net, which we don't look like we're going to do too much at the minute. But on the ball going forward and at the back, we couldn't really have done too much more. So um, positive signs coming out of the weekend. Yeah, Kyle, you briefly mentioned about Jordan Green. Um, it was it was definitely, uh, I mean, obviously the feedback that had come out from, from Priestfield on Saturday afternoon was that he was... Simply Stand just out yeah, yeah he, was, he was outstanding, um, and and one of those performances that he he deserved his almost standing ovation. Yeah, what did you make of a bit more in depth? What did you make of Jordan's performance on on Saturday? Off, off, yeah, you can see that he's going to give um, going to give defenders at this level a, a real bit of trouble, as long as he's able to get past them. Obviously, if they're not standing in the way trying to snap him in half, but um, he will definitely get he'll beat his man. Um, the end product is still not perfect. It, could it be that he's not having the players making the runs that he needs um, to get on the receiving end of it? We can't rule that out. Um, and we haven't really seen what his his finishing is like yet. He kind of he runs in and he's, he's looking for getting crosses as tight to the touchline as he can and pulling it back um, for like which is kind of the crosses that Mandron you'd imagine would be desiring to be getting on the end of anyway for a good angle for a header. Um, yeah, I think he could possibly be supported a bit more if we, um, as, as Lewis mentioned, if we were able to get someone else who could sit a bit deeper in midfield, um, he could be looking to whack it across the box to Ollie Lee. He's like standing on the edge, and then that's exactly where Ollie Lee would want to be shooting from, really, you know, and the player that he is. So could it be that we need a bit more depth actually deeper in the pitch to unlock green? It could be potential. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lewis, obviously... Um... One thing that we took from last week against Wimbledon was that we were very almost we were very passive in our in our possession football um, on opening day, but we we certainly reverted back to um, the quick, energetic um, playing through the thirds football against Rochdale. Um, if we're going to play that type of way, we mentioned it on last week's show. If we're going to play that type of way under Neil Harris, it has to be like it it was on Saturday, doesn't it? Yeah, I think at this level, you've got to be a very, very good team full of very good footballers to to play constant possession football. I remember a couple of years ago, MK Dons came to Priestfield and during lockdown and they got completely undone by us, just pressing them, just simply they were trying to play football and they weren't good enough. So you do well to do that all the time, but I think it's important to have a balance. No one wants to see constant long ball football because when it's not working, it's pretty much the worst thing you can do because it's horrible in the eye. But yeah, I think... We, we did try and pass pass through the field a little bit more. Um, Max Aimer is sort of associated with just hoofing the ball at the pitch. And I was at the game with my dad and he often goes, oh, here we go when Aimer gets the ball. But there were times when even he was sort of passing out of defence and the options are there for the short goal kick as well. And and it's a lot nicer on the eye. Um, when you've got players such as Ollie Lee and Ben Reeves in this division, it's positive because you know how good they are on the ball. They're going to get a lot more time and space. Uh, Sean Williams as well, sitting deep. He is really a deep line playmaker. He's not just someone that's going to get stuck in. He's very comfortable on the ball. Um, and with his experience and how well he reads the game, he looks like he's got all the time in the world. So against the, the lesser teams in the division, let's say, um, I think we're going to play some decent football. Ideally, you'd want us to sort of four pass Rochdale, something like that, just of how dominant we were. And if you've got a striker that's going to score 20 plus goals a season, we probably would have done. But it's nice, it's nice on the eye. Um, hopefully, it's going to continue. We will see a bit of balance with both because, obviously, although he didn't have too much success in the air, 
on Saturday, Mandron is a tall player. He can he can win the ball in the air, and that option's there if we need it. But um, yeah, it's important to be able to do both. But it's a lot nicer to see the ball on the floor a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, Ben Reeves completely completed ninety minutes on Saturday in a Jill shirt for well, I think for the first time really since it, it, it signed signed for the football club. Yeah, obviously another another one that come from really good feedback for, for him, and and one that I think. As an as a midfielder in this level, if we can keep him fit, he's going to be a real asset for this dual side, isn't he? Yeah, apologies, that wasn't actually my mindset at that time. I was trying to get rid of a notification, accidentally close the tab. <laughs> so, but yeah, Ben Reeves, uh, yeah, he was very good on Saturday. I think, as you say, we've we've not been able to see him at his best really at any point since we got him through the door. I think his uh, last season or maybe the season before. We just we've, we've seen in glimpses here and there in certain games. But we've never had. What you, I suppose you'd say a 90-minute Ben Reeves performance. We've not been able to, to 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 get used to that and see what he's what he's best at, what he can offer most, because he's just been really, really unlucky with injuries. And Harris has mentioned that a lot this season before we started, saying how cautious he has to be with him because I think this is the first pre-season he was saying he's completed in nearly um, seven years or something like that, which is quite staggering when you think about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he, he, he was brilliant on Saturday. I think he went a bit under the radar, but I think he did a lot of great things. I was um, a, a bit like near the end of the game and we were one love, but I think he, um can't remember his, I think it's uh, Diego Rara or something, the uh, centre mid for Rochdale. I think he like, was trying to do a bit of keep ball and Reeves managed to nutmeg him, then put the ball past. A nice bit of skillful play. I think he was unlucky not to score after Green did great work on the right-hand side and he had his uh, shot tipped over the same with a free kick as well. But I think if we can get this level of, of performance and fitness from Ben Reeves throughout the season is going to be the asset we've been we've been hoping he would be for the last two years or so and obviously it gives us the option as well with Lee being able to play the 10 where if we do have an injury to you know a key for Jeffries and Lee can go back in there and then Reeves can be the main creative player and obviously helps as well that he can interchange with with Cash get he can go out wide Cash can go in the middle as well so it gives us a lot more fluidity in that sense and we're just you know with, with Reeves whenever he has a good performance we're just you know, naturally we start to think, well, when's it going to end that he's going to get the, the inevitable injury that he always seems to get. But at the minute, he, he looks fitter than we've ever seen him before. And hopefully he can he can keep his fitness levels up, keep his keep the injuries away this season. If, as, as I say, if he does that, then we're going to have a real asset on our hands. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kyle, obviously at Wimbledon last week, we were stood next to each other and we were, we were talking about Sean Williams quite a lot, that he was very pretty on the eye, but he was far too slow with, with, with the football. That That from the feedback that I've heard, that's certainly changed on Saturday. And yeah, I think there was a lot more purpose. Yeah, there's a rocket up his backside, I think. Um, I think what also possibly helped, going on to what Lewis said, I don't think Rochdale pressed us nearly as aggressively as Wimbledon did. Wimbledon were going like a full court press, no matter where it was, we could be on on our goal line and we'd be pressed hard. But um, even now, looks like it's different now. I think we're Sean Williams. still here. I cut off. No, are you still here? Um, I think with Sean, I think with Sean Williams as well. He's he's one of those type of players, Carl, that I think you hit the nail on the head. That um, obviously um, Rochdale didn't press us anywhere near as Wimbledon did. I think obviously mm. what people have got to remember is that he's come from a, a Millwall side that that won won promotions um, un, under mm. under Neil Harris. If you give that man quality and time on the ball, he he will hurt you, yeah. won't he? Yeah, I think also that it wasn't just that Wimbledon were pressing us really aggressively but it was also that um he wasn't really being helped out by everyone else in the team not really showing themselves into good positions we had the fullbacks stretching out to the touchline as wide as they could which is occasionally pockets of space for for you know lofted balls into the air but as as reese was saying to us too if they're not spot on if they're not perfect um it causes trouble because you take a touch that's not ideal you've lost possession and then you're vulnerable to the counter so with Rochdale not pressing us as aggressively, it makes it gives him a bit more opportunity, a bit more time to do that. Um, but even with what we were saying at the ground, we didn't think Wimbledon looked like they'd be challenging for playoffs, really. Is it going to be that it's a style of play thing or is it a quality of team thing that causes the um, difficulties that we, we come across at Wimbledon? Whereas yeah, Rochdale, true. it looks like they'll be bottom six, probably. Yeah, very true. Um, Lewis, um, one of the individuals that... Um, I think Jill's fans were a little bit unsure about was Will Wright um, after the first game of the season. But again, um, obviously got an assist for Scott Caskett's um, header on on Saturday with great delivery of, of the ball. And that's one of the, 
one of the things that Neil Harris mentioned when he'd signed him, that he is a, a great uh, dead ball specialist, certainly for a, for a full-back. What did you make of Will's performance on Saturday? Yeah, it's a weird one, really, because Kyle said that he doesn't look as comfortable at right-back as he would in centre-back, and I completely agree. Um, when he was at centre-back in pre-season, I thought, wow, he looks looks the right player. Who who sort of told him he's going to play right-back? And it was similar <laughs> after the Wimbledon game. But he put a decent showing in. Um, I don't think he is going to move, as Kyle said, the centre-back, unless we did sign some spectacular right-back, which I don't think Trey Alexander is trusted to be. So I can't see that changing throughout the season. Um it's a weird one, basically seeing your centre off over set pieces and corners and stuff. But he has got a good delivery. Um, obviously, if it was planned, it was a great delivery for Kashkit's goal, and he was taking corners sort of just in front of me, blocked one of the Rainer men as well. I think he had a shot from one corner that went straight out for a goal kick. But I think he's finding his feet. He's not 100% comfortable on the ball. I don't think. Um, obviously, it's a step up a level for him as well. So rather than quite a few players, you've got your O'Keefe, Shaw Williams stepping down, he's stepping up a level, so he's adjusting too. Um, but yeah, going forward, he's finding his feet, but defensively, he's very solid. Um, seems quick enough. He's obviously young, he's fresh. He's got a good set-piece delivery. Um, needs to work on his crossing a little bit, perhaps, and sort of getting into to decent positions. But um, yeah, from a dead ball and defensively as well, um, no complaints so far. Yeah, um, I mean... It's important this, obviously after last week, it was really important that um, we won on Saturday, wasn't it? It, it, it wasn't It wasn't a kind of a six-pointer, but it was a case of very much that um, it, the, the longer we we lose games, the, 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 it sinks in a, a bit of a mental thing, doesn't it? Is that it was really important on Saturday that we got that first win under our belt and we can now kick on. Well, yeah, I suppose you have to take into account that there's a lot of players who are still here from last year who might have a bit of a mental hangover, if you like, with how we ended last season with not many wins and sort of that can become a bit of a uh, routine that you don't want to be stuck into. But I think, yeah, I think the first the first game against Wimbledon was basically just a, a, a pure sign that we weren't really ready on the day and we couldn't compete to the best of our abilities, but we looked a lot sharper on Saturday, I think. Obviously, it helps playing against a team that weren't really willing to press us. So happy to just sit back and try and soak up all of our pressure, which lasted nine minutes. Which, you know, when when you're playing a team like that, when you know they're not going to offer much going forwards because they just don't have the sort of quality, you always feel like it is going to be a comfortable day. I think, you know, I was a bit worried towards the end, even though they hadn't created anything at all. If, you know, what happened last season with so many late goals we conceded, whether people might switch off and, you know, maybe get some memories of what happened last year and it would cost us uh, the three points, which would have been obviously really unjust because they didn't deserve anything out of the game. They were terrible. And, yeah, we, we held on and got that important win and now it's just about pick that momentum. We've got a, you know, I don't think we're going to be talking about it today, but we've got a, you know, hard game on paper against Tranmere, but they're also a side who have lost their first two games of the season. So there's no reason why we can't go there and get a result. And it's just about breeding that, uh, that winning mentality. And, you know, Harris was very keen to say that when we played uh, Southend in the final pre-season game, so that game was not about necessarily about fitness. It was about getting that winning mentality ahead of the season. And, you know, it looks like we have players in there that, that have that now and they've grasped onto it. Maybe some of the new guys needed, you know, that first game against Wimbledon just to sort of acclimatise to what league football is again and get used to the hustle and bustle of it all. But, you know, once they got through that experience, obviously didn't go our way. We looked a lot more steady, a lot more astute and a lot more, like we brought a lot more to the party on Saturday. And obviously it's a good step to get that first victory. Yeah, like Owen said, we won't be actually talking about the, the Tramia game on Saturday. Um, tonight, we're going to do a Twitter space either Thursday or Friday, um, reviewing or yeah, reviewing the Wimbledon game tomorrow and then previewing the Tramia game. So stay tuned for that. That'll be on our um, obviously on our Twitter page. Um let's move on then um after the one 0 win on Saturday. Um and last night, um like many of us were probably scrolling through Twitter, kind of looking at the Premier League, um, feedback results and things like that. Um looking at our FBR. I know Carl, me and you are massive on it, so we're probably looking at that um how we were doing. Um and then a club statement pops up. Um, and me thinking, me thinking, like club statement. I'm thinking, oh my god, Harris has jacked it in. We've won on Saturday. I can't believe he's gone. Um, it, it wasn't that, it was actually, um, our chairman Paul Scally, uh, fair to say, taking an extended break, um, from the football club. And in come Paul Fisher, 
um, joining the board of directors as co-chairman and CEO of the football club and will actually be responsible for the day-to-day running of the business. Um, Paul was obviously actually at the football club in 2001 and 2002 um, and then went on to be um, the Jockey Club Racecourse's CEO um, and actually overturned 250 million as a business um, across 15 horse racing courses within the UK. Um, he's actually left that role now after 20 years in it um, and obviously has now joined as the co-chairman and the CEO of the Jills. Um, Kyle, we'll come to you first. When you first saw come out that statement and, and you read through it, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I thought that it had been showing signs of coming for a little bit. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that we could see that the chairman's interest had waned a little bit in the football side of things over the last few years as he's focused on things outside of football that will gather additional revenue such as the hospitality, Great Hall Factory, etc. and the school. Um, So the focus has quite clearly been focused on, on those sides of the business to generate additional revenue outside of football in ventures. Um, and I think that the, the appointment that we've made is, is fairly astute. It's somebody who is a local boy, um, you know, went to the same school one year as my dad. So, so know him actually quite well, um, and has worked with the club before in what I don't think anyone would argue is our most successful period, like quite objectively looking at where we were on the ladder yeah. and, um, He's got good track records outside of it as well. I mean, Jockey Club managing, you know, every major race uh, race course in the UK other than Ascot, essentially. You can't imagine that would be a a trivial task. It's probably trickier than running a football club. And he's got relevant experience in running a football club because he's done us before. Now, would I say running a football club in, you know, the late 90s is different to running one in present day? Probably, Probably a very different kind of venture, but... He's got experience in it, and I feel like it's certainly promising, um, especially with Scally taking a step back. He essentially will have executive rights over the club. He can call any shots that he needs to do um, without having to answer to anyone above him, at least whilst uh, whilst Scally's taking a step back. Mm, okay, interesting. That's really interesting. Thanks, Carl. Um, Owen, yeah, uh, what did you make of what did you make of it? Uh, you know, I saw a club statement, my eyes lit up, self-service pumps finally are here. <laughs> but sadly, no. Um, it's, I read into it at first as, as more of a, you know, I think a lot of people immediately thought Scully's leaving, Scully's leaving, and I was a bit too, um, not as optimistic as that, shall we say. I, I read into it and I saw that he was taking an extended leave, but he did also say in it that he'll be, basically when he comes off the extended leave, he'll be having to think about what's the best thing to do and it may end up being go from extended leave to a permanent leave um you know it's a in my opinion it's it's a great sign of of this club potentially moving forward we've been you know as much as people can say about how scally saved us back in the day and you know we've won some promotions here and there which are fantastic days too that i was um alive for anyway obviously i can't relate to you know, 99 or whatever but it, I think you're very naive if you don't open your eyes to the fact that we have been stagnating for a club now for a very, very long time. But for, you know, for I think me, Lewis and Carl are all sort of similar ages. And obviously, James is 49, so he's a guy who's back. So <laughs> um, we sort of all see the club. Like, from my point of view, I've seen us. So I was born in 98. My first season was in 2007. So I saw us get uh, promoted at Wembley in 2009 seen us win the league in 2013 and then I've had I think three relegations in that time as well so we've seen the ups and downs in that time frame obviously everyone's time frame should be different it's going to be people listening to this who you know are a lot older than us who've seen us you know way back when and uh, you know they're entitled to their opinion as well I'm sure they're probably more inclined to be supportive of Scully than people who have experienced what we have in our in our uh, time of times of watching Jills and that's just you know the way it is but I think as I say, it's very naive to, to think that we haven't stagnated and we haven't looked like a club who were slowly but surely on decline in the past, you know, decade or so. Because you, you know we've been 
we've been, we've been just sort of there. There's so, there's so many issues we can talk about. The one that always gets me the most is how we've never really capitalised on being the only EFL club in Kent and capitalised on that catchment area. We've never really seemed to do it. It's It's been something that he's talked about, but nothing really has gone into to action with that. And we just seem to be a club that, you know, for so long we're just stagnating in League One, which, yeah, I get it. It could be worse. You could be, you know, like a county or, um, you know, Aldershot or some, one of these former EFL teams, Southend, who are now in the conference. But the, the fact of the matter is when, when I go to watch Jules in the past, you know, last few years, it's been just a sense of, well, this is where we are. This is probably where we're going to stay for a while because there's no clear sign of us going anywhere. But then it slowly but surely started to turn in the other direction last season. And obviously where it became more apparent towards the end of last year that we were more than likely going to be relegated. That's obviously when, you know, fans made their voices heard a bit more and the anti scally chant started to reappear. And obviously we know what happened. We, we went down and he, you know, even then I didn't really see much of a reaction from him in terms of, you know, talking about how, you know, we're going to rebuild, we're going to get better. It, you know, it's Neil Harris who's been doing all the talking on that front. Let's be honest. He's the one coming out saying we need to rebuild this team. The standards need to be better on and off the pitch. It's, it's not Scali who's come out and said that. It's the manager, which for me tells you all you need to know as well. And yeah, we've just been we've just been heading in the wrong direction. So I think it is it is now time. You know, he said it himself. This isn't any of us coming in and saying that he needs to go because he's terrible and, you know, it's also all thought he can't run a football club anymore. That's not just our opinion. That's something he said himself. He said in his own words that he can't, he doesn't feel that he can take the club any further than he already has. So I think it's, it's definitely a good sign in, in, in the right direction that we can hopefully, you know, get this, this new person can bring a bit more stability and, you know, either find investment or be the one to you know, invest himself and we can actually start looking at you know, this club that we all know and love becoming you know, the club we want it to be again, which is competing and not just existing, essentially, is how I see it. We we exist and you know, we don't do much else other than that. And obviously, as I say, there's a lot of people who will say, well, you know, it could be worse, think of this and that and that. You know, he saved us all back in the time and yeah, that's fine. And I don't. I, I read his um, not his column in the Sun. He's uh, interviewing the Sun, and you know that if you're going to match Paul Scully to any publication, I think that would be the one. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it came across very. You know, look it's at me. Tough. I'm I'm a bit of a victim. It's everyone yeah, else's yeah. fault. You, you know, when when the going gets tough, it's someone else's fault. Essentially, that's what it sort of came across to me. And. You know, obviously none of us condone anyone who's, you know, personally abused him or, yeah. you know, done anything physical or, or threatened him and his family. Obviously, that's that's not OK. We should put that out there. These are just our opinions. It doesn't for a minute mean that any of us condone anything like that. Obviously, that's not on. But it, it, it came across to me that he, he liked to point out a lot of the things that were wrong, a lot of the things that he's taken personally, but without actually taking any responsibility for it himself, which is what probably irritated me and a lot of fans the most. It was just a lack of accountability for what's happened to the club over the past, you know, five to ten years. And I think it is hopefully surely but surely the beginning of a new dawn. I will let Lewis go now because I've realised I'm I was gonna say Lewis, I'm, I'm not sure what how are you gonna follow that up? That was uh, that 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 honestly sounded like a bit of a rousing speech about about to become president of some sort of like group or whatever it is. But I mean to to, to back you up as well. Uh, Steve Baker also agrees with you. Well said, Owen. Supported GFC since 1981 and it's time for a change. And there you go, Ricky, as well. 100% Owen, totally agree with you. Uh, and then, Owen, I think, uh, uh, St- Owen, Steve, uh, Steve, I think Steve's giving you a, ra- a bit of a round of applause behind our screen. So I think I think I should take back what I said about the older generation, actually. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, uh, yeah. I, I mean, follow that up. It, it's, it's been, it, it certainly has been Look, I think we are all of the opinion that we thank um, we thank Paul Scully for, for for doing what he's done for us for bringing bringing us what he's brought us. I mean, he's brought us obviously promotion at Wembley uh, twice. Uh, he's also then brought us the League Two title as well. Um, countless of times that he's back managers. Certainly during my my time as a as a fan, I don't think you can ever argue that when he's actually appointed managers, he's definitely backed them in the market um 
And he could have easily, in my opinion, easily um, left it to Steve Lovell in League Two um, this year. But he went out and got, in my opinion, one of the best managers in the Football League in Neil Harris to give it a good go. Um, so there are many positives for Paul Scully, but it is definitely, I think we're all of the opinion that it is definitely a time for a change before it gets to a point that look at South End and look at many other clubs that have gone through that trap door and could quite have easily happen to us, could it, couldn't it? Yeah, I'll be as quick as I can because I don't know if I'm going to get cut off or something. You're um, not, you're not, we've got all the time in the world. So no, you are free. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I echo everyone else in the comments about Owen's speech. I think he said a lot of very good points there, spoke from the heart about how a lot of Gillingham fans feel. Um, and yeah, as you say, James, you know, it'd be before our time, but we thank him for saving the club and getting him to, getting us to where he got us, I suppose. But the reality is, as Owen said, as we all believe and as he said himself, he's not capable of running a modern football club anymore. And I think that's clear in how it's gone at the minute. Um he doesn't help himself in a lot of situations. He does say a lot of things that he doesn't follow up on. Um, I think a lot of people sort of associate him with telling some lies. Um, I think just basic, basic stuff in terms of, you know, the Steve Evans saga. Um, everyone knew how it was going to end. He knew how it was going to end. Um, he rejected an approach for him about a month before, but he's talking about how horrible he made the club before that. Um, you know, just simple stuff like the kits aren't available yet, the, the poor rollout of the ticketing system, the fact it took four months to fix the roof in the Gordon Road stand. Um, he was so bad at, at reading the room last year when we were in the relegation battle with this chairman's chat, which I think was an absolute PR disaster. It's probably the worst thing we've done at that time. He's coming out talking about this GFC school, which obviously generates revenue, but it was the last thing on every Gillingham fan's mind when we're in a relegation battle, when we need players, when we have a troublesome manager situation. Um, he was just awful at reading the room and, you know, match day experience, stuff like that. I think it's very, very clear that club needs a change in direction. I think he's the longest serving person in the football league now as well. And it's time for change. I think there is a bit of a split, as Owen said, people that were sort of following the club when he saved the club have a bit more um, leniency towards him and perhaps lightness towards him because of what he did. But being in the modern day, you know, we're not going anywhere. We were just sort of existing, as Owen said. Um, we're not progressing as a club. We're not moving forward or going backwards. You know, no, well, not many fans expect us to bounce back out of League Two at the first time of asking. And if if we can't do it in these couple of years that we're expecting Harris to be here, then who knows how long we could be stuck there because there's not um, too much chance, fat chance, that we're going to get a better manager than Neil Harris to try and get us to do it. So, yeah, I think relegation was the final nail in the coffin for a lot of people. We've seen that with the backlash and this personal abuse that he's got. Um, obviously, we don't condone the personal abuse. As Owen said, it goes without saying that's a step too far. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people share this opinion because we all love the football club. It's a big part of everyone's lives and he's been running it into the ground, essentially. Um, I had a passionate sort of outburst on Twitter last night about it and it was quite split in terms of the opinions towards him because of how we did save us. But then the situation he left us in now and he can't take us forward anymore. And, you know, I suppose as harsh as it sounds, all we can do is hope that even if it's just for his own sort of health, um, but for the good of the football club moving forward, we have to hope that he doesn't come back, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Steve, um, Steve commented again. He, he, I think he's loving tonight's show. Um, he says, totally agrees, Lewis. Uh, totally agree, Lewis. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Miss Scully, for the first 10 years of your tenure. But it's now going backwards and has been for a little while. I'm just going to read the quotes from, from the chairman. Um, this has obviously just come straight off the site. So it says, there is no question that right now I'm physically and mentally exhausted from the effort, stress, strain and worries of the past couple of years, coupled with a personal abuse effects. I need a break to read recharge my batteries myself and paul fully attend to continue exploring options regarding the long-term future of the club of the club and indeed we are currently considering the possibilities of forming a strong and credible board of directors capable of continuing the journey should external investment on new ownership not be an option this is not quite a farewell from me albeit that it may well be an ultimate conclusion of the next few months i do hope there is still flame deep down and that can reignite with the help of those closest to me and with the helps of others externally, but time will be the greatest judge of that. Certainly, if it is the end, it's fair to say it was never the way I expected to see the final curtain. Kyle, it obviously, fans have fans have to be careful here. This is not Paul Scully giving the football club up. He's not walking away not from, 
He is not walking away. He's just taking almost... Well, he is taking an extended break. It is Fans have to be careful, don't they, that Paul Scully has not walked away from the football club last night. He's just giving it over to somebody that he trusts and will we'll almost lean on if there is any emergencies that the football club need to attend to. Yeah, essentially, he's just give, he's given the keys of the house to somebody else, but he yeah. still owns the house. Mm. He hasn't sold the club. So yeah. even after his extended break, he says, like, I, I stepped down as chairman. I, you know, resign all activities with in, in regards to that. He still owns the club. So the what the the board of directors that replaces him. And I think that's actually an encouraging term, not just Paul Fisher, but like a fresh board of directors because you need fresh ideas from more than one point of view, more than one person. But they'll either have to work with the revenue that, that Paul Scully is willing to uh, to contribute to the club or have to explore other revenues to, um, to raise revenue, whatever they may be. Um, you'd imagine that if... Um, if he steps down as chairman, that it would be linked to a big sign outside that says we are for sale. Um, mm. I wouldn't see much point in doing one without the other. But even still, even if he steps down, there's still got to be time going through for a sale. And that's not necessarily a quick thing. You can see with, um, who is it went down last year? With Oldham, it went through, but it still took a good few months after they got relegated and all of the directors went, yep, yeah, forget it, we're out. Yeah. Um, so... If, if this happened mid-season, I mean, the season started now. So with Oldham, at least they had like a, a moderately painless transition where everything happened behind the scenes whilst the, the football club was dormant over the season. We'll be, we'll be playing. We'll be, um, you know, we'll be playing, playing matches. We'll be trying to raise revenue through the other rev reasons that we already do, like, um, like, you know, Christmas parties at the Great Hall and all of that. So even though he's given up control of the club and the decisions that are being made currently, which could be somewhat encouraging given the fact the transfer window is still open. So there might be some things that could be sanctioned possibly. It's not over, not by a long shot. Yeah. I mean, leaning on Kyle's point then, how important is it now that Paul Fisher needs to come out, needs to speak to the fans and needs to address how this is going to work, what he's going to do and what he's short term and long term, because we've already heard from from obviously Paul Scully, he says that he's going to be away for a number of months, so that could be until the end of end of this year. How important is it that he now comes out to the fans, addresses the fans, and says, "Right, here's our short term plan, here's our long term plan. This is what we're going to do." Yeah, I was hoping we might have they might have had one lined up for today to just follow on swiftly from it. Um, yeah, I think it, we should. Hopefully, we'd see an article version of it, but I'd also like to see maybe a 25 30 minute sit down interview that you know Phil can do with him just to outline uh, what the future's going to look like for us. Because you know, after a big bombshell up last night, the one thing we need more than anything is uh, transparency with you know what comes next. And um, you know, I know a lot of people will be interested in what Paul Fisher has to say, and I think you know, given what we've had for the past 25 years in terms of getting the back in of uh, the fans, the bar is going to be pretty low. So, you know, as long as he comes out and says the right things, but has actual meaning to them and can justify his his aims and ambitions, and I'm sure he'll get a lot of positive responses from Jules fans and we'll be able to gather more of um, not just what he wants to do with the club, but more about him as a person, you know, his personality, what he's like, you know, because that, that sort of connection is really important when someone owns a club as well. It doesn't just have to be about what they want to do for the club, it's about having that connection between fans where they know what you're like as a person, they know how you want to act, how you want to present yourself. And obviously that's obviously really important as well when you're pitching to potential investors as well. So I think hope, I was hoping we'd, we'd get something out today about that, but not quite yet, maybe later on in the week. But then we've been waiting on Nicky Shorey's interview for about five months now, haven't we? So who knows? Um, but yeah, I think, I think we will get it eventually. I think it's too big of a thing not to put something out. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be it'll be something that Jules fans will have their eyes on uh, social media for for the next couple of days, hoping to come out and hopefully he he puts on that good impression. I hope he's, you know, I, one thing I hope when he does he does do like an interview or, or written piece is I want him to speak from himself. You know, I don't want him to talk about 
you know, Scally throughout all of it and make these references to, you know, how good he was and how thankful he is for him passing it over, etc. I just wanted to talk about his own ambition. Put Scully to one side, tell the fans what you want to do, who you are, and build that connection for between um, co-chairman and fans, which has been, you know, lacking for the past 10 or so years. So you think it's really important that as like the chairman's yeah. chat in the next program. Yeah, yeah, and it's really important, Lewis, as well, isn't it? Is that he isn't Paul? Paul Fisher needs to be able to. He needs to. He needs to almost read the room. That he needs to realise that he's coming into a football club that is basically on its feet. It, it, we are on. We are on. On firmly on the ground in terms of we are we are in a mess. I know we won on Saturday, but if you look at the bigger picture as a football club. We are in a real state at the moment. And so I think he needs to be able to come in, be a real hands-on chairman, be able to directly communicate with the fans. And and and, and most importantly, like Owen says, those actions that he's he, he talks he's going to talk about, he needs to be able to implement them straight away, doesn't he? Because like Carl's also mentioned, we are right in the middle of a season. We haven't got a summer break where he has time. He needs to come in now and sort problems now, doesn't he? Yeah, I think communication in the modern age, you know, in all sort of businesses, the way to run a business these days is to be personable, is to be uh, transparent and communicate with sort of stakeholders, really. Um, his track record sort of suggests he knows what he's doing. Obviously, Carl spoke about the jockey club earlier on. Um, we were talking before we went on air about how, how they could, potentially sort of hold a forum or something in the Great Hall. Um, it would be good to sort of hear from from Mr Fisher and Harris as well, potentially. Um, it's almost a, an open goal. As Owen said, the bar is so low in terms of what we've been sort of dealing with so far um, this season and in the last sort of decade or so that it's almost an open goal where you can just tap in, iron out a few issues and sort of give some spirit to, to the supporters that have sort of been lost and stagnated for so long under Paul Scally's leadership. Um yeah, it's important that he comes out. He says he says what he thinks. Um, he's essentially running the club on his own now. I know he's a co-chairman, but with Scally not around, um, we'd like to think that he will have no input in these this break for several reasons that he's that he's having. Um, he he needs to sort of outline what he wants to do, even if it is the short term. Um, we are playing. Scally said in his letter that the football side of things is in good hands. Obviously, there's still some business to do in the transfer window. We've got a new person making those decisions now, but I think everyone. Every Jules fan has trust in Neil Harris to make some good decisions and get us some decent performances and decent results on the pitch. So it'd be nice to hear from Paul Fisher what he wants to do off the pitch. And as we've said before, you know, the bar's low. It's just little things like the kit, um, match day experience. We can just make little improvements early on to get spirits up and then he can sort of do what he has to do behind the scenes. But it'd be great to hear from him. Um, I know he was at the club before, but a lot of people probably won't know who he is or have heard of him before last night. And It'd be nice to get that experience to what is essentially, um, apart from the fans, the most important person right now. I think you've you've probably answered Reese's question then, but we're going to bring it up on on screen anyway. Kyle, I'm going to pose this question to you then. What actions does Paul Fisher have to do to win over the fans in the short term then? Just strategize, communicate and strategize. I know it's a it's a term that is used far too much, but we are a club that is in transition. So just lay out right. What do you, how how do we rebuild this season to go across for next season? Because I don't think any of us see getting promoted straight back up to League One as a realistic possibility this season. So how can we recover this season to build for next season? What does he see that we can do that in regards to on and off the pitch? Okay, Owen. Um, obviously, Lewis mentioned about the, the the little things like ticketing and kits and. And match days experience, even even the food. I think in the rainy minute, you can only get like burgers now, which most of the time are, you can't even eat. Eat they're they're they're, they're, they're no good. Um, things like that. Are you? Is that are they the sort of things that he just, he just needs to sort? Just that, that fan experience. Well, yeah. Other than the ninety minutes on the pitch, we are. You know, match day experience is essentially non-existent, isn't it? it? I think quite a lot of those food stores that opened the Rainiment, how many other years ago they were, you had like the Italian-based one and then the others, I can't remember. I don't know how many of them are actually open on a match day. I think it's only like two or three at most. But yeah, I think, I think the whole experience is just really lacking. You know, in the factory years ago, they used to have 
say we had a player in the match day squad who was you know, suspended or injured, they'd come down to the factory and read out the team sheet and that gave everyone a nice little lift before the game. Um, you know, they weren't everyone's cup of tea with the GFC gems back then. You know, why not bring them back? Um, but I thought we were. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw a press release in the last six months saying that that's going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect everywhere, every choice. Um, I think we could do with bringing back, like, even when they had the kids coming in at half time doing like the penalty shootout or the crossbar challenge or whatever it was, because that just is another thing that builds relationships with local communities, which is always good. And uh, you know, I just don't, I just don't really see what what there is for a match day experience at Jules. You know, we obviously only go there for the game. No one goes there to watch kids do penalty shootouts at half time. We go to watch the game, but even then, there's just not enough vibrancy around the place. It's more just sort of get up, go to the game, watch it leave. Yeah, you know, there's no real. They don't really give you much of an incentive to to get there early to enjoy some sort of outside-the-ground atmosphere, concourse atmosphere they might have going on or something like that. Or, you know, the same after the game. I know there's people obviously go to the factory, but they could have something after the game where... I don't I don't know. They just have some sort of thing going on in the factory. I don't, I don't know what off the top of my head, but, like, maybe they have, you know, like an, an act in there doing acty things. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it could be... It could be a lot more, you know, more for the fans to actually enjoy rather than just feeling like you have to go to the game, watch it and go home. Like, there's always got to be got to be a reason to to stick around. You know, as a club, you think they try and implement that to try and, you know, if they've if ever been blunt about it, to get more money out of fans. But I don't think fans would mind as much if it was something worth staying for. Whereas, you know, obviously, obviously if you lose a game, you're not, you're not going to want to stay anyway. But... If there was just something else, maybe they put something on in the Great Hall once a month, something like that, then I understand, of course, you've got to pay for the staff to go and do that. And something. I, I don't know. It's just it's just like sort of an idea that maybe one day we might consider just upping the general the general fan experience because it's very, you know, that last at the minute, isn't it? Even even something, actually, I just thought of now. So I don't know if any of you have seen this, this TikTok page. It's called like, the Padded Seat. So they go to yes. they go to all of these uh, yeah. clubs across the country, some of that country, and they get um, the padded seat. They sit in hospitality for a game, and you know they rate it. And they've gone to loads and loads and loads of EFL clubs. You know they've been abroad. You wouldn't hurt a bit of publicity for Jules to just offer that out to them for free for one day. You know, come and try a hospitality area. Get us because they're quite a big page on shit. I think they have like five hundred odd thousand subscribers. You know, give it, and Jules is actually quite new on uh, TikTok. They can't post a lot of things now, so that's interesting. But it, it's, it's even something small like that where they could comment on their page saying, oh, do you want to come visit us? And obviously they get to come down and experience the the, the padded seats and uh, the luxuries of Priestfield. And also it gives the club a bit of publicity on a wider scale as well. It's just, that's like another thing I see is like an open goal that could be so easily achieved. It just doesn't seem to be something we've you know, looked yeah. into. Great. Okay. After all this chat, we actually do have a game tomorrow night. We've got AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup. Lewis, um, yeah, I know obviously it's our second time um, in just under two weeks that we've, we're obviously um, going to visit back Palau Lane, obviously for a very different reason, to try and get through to the second round of the Carabao Cup. Uh, thoughts on it, seriousness in it. Obviously, we've not got a big enough squad anyway to rotate too much, but yeah, just give us your thoughts ahead of ahead of the game tomorrow night. Yeah, you're right. We don't have enough players to sort of rotate everything, do we? I'm sure, you know, Jake Turner will start and goal. I'm sure Chad Alexander and Dave Tutondo will play. Um, might see a couple of younger players. I know um, Jabode, if that's how you pronounce it, apologies if it's wrong, but he's had concussion, hasn't he? Um, he fell down the stairs at home, which is ironic because um, it's a silly injury when we've got a thin squad. But if he's cleared, I'm sure he'd have played. Um you know, Alex McDonald might get a start, people like that. Um, obviously, we're light at midfield. Sean Williams, probably with his age, you'd assume he'd like a rest. So, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. We might see Will Wright at midfield or something like that. But we've not got too many options to rotate, as you say, James. Um, Wimbledon will probably do similar. They'll rotate as much as they can. So, I'm sure it'll be a bit of a different game. And um, it's probably quite a balanced game, you know, in the league, I think. A lot of us expected before that match to be a balanced game. And we probably are two fairly balanced sides. Obviously, they were the better team on the day. But I think come the end of the season, um, we'll both sort of 
be looking up rather than down you like to think but yeah in terms of the importance of it it's always nice to have a cup run um you know sometimes it's a blessing in disguise to go out early because the games in that competition come thick and fast and with the squad so thin and we've already picked up two or three injuries um sometimes it's a blessing to go out when you know you're not going to go and win it anyway but it'll be nice to you know the usual get the fees for going through um try and get through a couple of rounds get a premier league team all that malarkey but i don't think too many people care about it at the minute to be honest i think a lot of people are focused on this league campaign you know doing the best we can to try and get up the top end of the division and this this um development we've had with the chairman but the game's there um i'm sure the management team and the players will take it seriously and um it'd be good to get a result. You know, you never want to lose football matches. It's always good to practice winning and win games and it feels good to win games. You know, if we come away with a 2-0 win tomorrow night, everyone will feel a little bit happier than they do before. Um, so it'd be good to win it, but won't be too bothered if we don't. I guess, Kyle, um, it's, I presume, I presume you can then look at it on a, on a flip side that obviously, like Lewis mentioned about getting, breeding that willing feeling, that, that, that confidence as well. Um, but then also creating some somewhat revenue, potentially then getting a prem side, yeah. Um, and then that will obviously boost ticket sales. That the, the budget that it, some sort of money can go towards Harris, maybe. Well, that's it. Because if we go to the second round, it's any club that finished outside the top of eight of the prem that we can get. I think so. There's still some some fairly large clubs that we could could possibly get a draw against Newcastle, for example. Probably be a decent one. It would be. Um, remember, we had that. Was it five, six years ago, possibly? And we had about nine thousand in on a Tuesday night. So yeah, we could definitely get good attendances come in for that. There's got it's got to be one of two approaches, really. You either play all the kids and rest us all of the, um, you know, the, the first thing that we have, and say right, we are just we are laser focused on the league. We're not interested in the energy drink cup, or you go for you know we we've we've played these eight or nine days ago. We know their approach. They know our approach. Can we learn from it? Can we play around what they've done? Um, even if they play a second string, you'd imagine that the way their coach is going to be to play fairly similarly. You'd imagine the same with us. So there's, we're not out of it. There's, there's definitely a route into it for us to win. Um, and as Lewis said, we should, we should always give 100% for it. We should always try to win. So... I, I think that we're probably going to go for the approach of try and win because I feel like the revenue boost would be worth rolling the dice, to be honest. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Wow. What a show. 50, 50, coming up to 53 minutes, our longest show um, we've done as a podcast, but what what a show tonight. Um, I'm glad. I hope you've enjoyed it. Everyone's watching. Um, yeah. So it's potentially a new dawn coming at Priestfield. Um, let's hope we hear from Paul Fisher in the coming days. Um, t- tomorrow night, we have got AFC Wimbledon at Plough Lane. Um, yeah, thank you for all for watching. That is the end of tonight's show. Um, keep li- liking, subscribing, retweeting, following us. Um, and tonight, you've been watching episode 17 of the ME7 podcast. Good night.